So I just went out to lunch and got back and realized I had to put my kid down. Oh, no. What? <laughs> May's got it. For a nap, Tom. Oh, oh, yo, yeah. Take her out back. <laughs> Old yeller. Put her down for a nap. And because I'd forgotten that my wife is taking my daughter, my oldest daughter, on her fifth birthday party to take her to get a COVID shot. Happy birthday. Oh, wow. Waste no time, huh? Yeah, yeah. Were you not a little bit swayed or dissuaded, I should say? by the shocking revelation from John Stockton that 100 to 150 professional athletes have died right there on the pitch, right there on the field, right there on the court after taking a COVID vaccine. And it's highly recorded, by the way, highly recorded. Yeah, everyone knows this. At least one player from every NBA team, right? If you just do the math, I mean, it's out there, but it's also hidden by the greater agenda of Fauci, falsy. My favorite thing about that was... Because I do my due diligence. I checked like Newsmax and OAN and Alex Jones and Clay Travis. They're in on it too. They're not reporting or covering these 150 dead professional athletes dying on the pitch, on the court, on the field. Either John Stockton, he's got access to some news that even the newsiest of trusted news sources don't have let alone the lamestream media. There's a little bit of specificity, right? There's a lot of like very detailed, like he didn't just say like- Highly recorded. He said, I didn't hear about it. He said, it's highly recorded. It's highly recorded. And he put a number on it, like over 100. I think there's 150. He said 150, then he walked it back, said over 100. I'm Tom Haverstro, and you're watching The Big Number. I see what you're doing there, Tom Haverstro. Uh, the usual <laughs> media manipulation gotcha. of words. The yeah. gotcha journalist over here. Gotcha journalism. I said 150, but I I, I walked it back. I walked okay? it back immediately. But of course, they're just going to leap on sound bites because, hello, that's how we do things now. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. That's Amin Al Hassan. There's a mob mentality when it comes to white basketball players. It starts with John Stockton, but it just keeps going. I mean, talk about Alex Caruso going after Alex Caruso. Who forget Grayson Allen? He's white. He's also white. <laughs> white on white crime. Why does anyone talk about white on white crime? What about Chicago and Milwaukee? Garrison Matthews just got clocked by De'Aaron Fox, and De'Aaron Fox got ejected a couple weeks. I mean, there's just a, a lot of a lot of people targeting folks who look like John Stockton here. Yeah, including it'd be your own sometimes, right? Yeah, I did see when the Grayson Allen punishment was doled out. There was one game seemed light. Hits the trailer, Caruso, and a hard foul. On Grace and Allen as Caruso hits the deck. Seemed light for a guy that showed zero remorse for what he did. Oh. That was my thing. It's like, it's one thing if it happens. You foul a guy and, you know, he's up in the air, didn't mean to, whatever. But usually guys like, oh, snap, oh, shit, my fault. Like, they're trying to check on you or at the very least kind of like, you know, help you up or whatever. This dude walked away with a smirk on his face, man. He knew exactly what he did. He didn't give a fuck, man. So... I thought it was kind of bullshit that he only got one game. Plus, he's got a punchable face. <laughs> well, you don't get any argument from me because uh, he went to Duke and well chronicled. Yeah. It's registered, widely known. 
what he did at Duke. He's got a reputation. He's got a reputation, a track record. Also, somehow, quintessential Duke player. That's what a Duke player looks like. White guy who plays dirty and for some reason is beloved by that awful, awful school that plays in a high school gym. You ever been to Cameron Indoor, Tom? I would never go. Are you kidding me? It's a dump. It is a dump. Like, it was so bad that we had Coach K on Levitard show one time a long time ago. And I had one question, and my question was... Oh, God. <laughs> you have Coach K. Okay. Are there any plans to, like, build a new facility? Because, as we know, Cameron's a dump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, El Hassan. Oh, no, well, Dan just steamrolled me. I don't think I was allowed to ask the question. I started to ask it. To- oh. Yeah. He spiked it. Censorship. You were censored. The mainstream media. See, they, 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 won't, they won't let us talk freely. It's a, it's a question that coaches all over the country have to address, right? Their facilities. Yeah, facilities. That's a part of the arms race. But somehow, we're going to protect Coach K. We can't ask him that. That'll offend him. I didn't call him. All I said was like, hey, hey you going to get a new one anytime soon? And this is why, Tom, this is why I have chosen this path. I'm like, I'm not going to walk in the same footsteps as all you sheeple in the media. That includes you, Dan Lebetard. Wow. You shill. Dan was just, I mean, he might not ever get Coach K on the show ever again if he asked that question. If, you, if you're heading hard journalism uh, questions, playing hardball with Coach K, that's the last time you're ever going to talk to Coach K. So I, Tom, I, I don't know. Tom, oh, oh, we're going to miss out on his truly insightful uh, answers, like saying that Zion, or it's the Pelicans' fault because Zion, they made him do too much after he got drafted. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Don't let the door hit you. The good Lord split you. Hey, so Grayson Allen, did you see he defended himself? How did he say I didn't see what he said. What did he say? You know, what's interesting about this story is that Grayson Allen spoke out and explained himself. The Alex Caruso hit, which generated a one-game suspension from the league. He was ejected after Alex Caruso landed hard on his wrist. He fractured his wrist. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. And, you know, when the guy's ejected, you're not really hearing from him after the game, especially if he's not a high-caliber player like Grayson Allen. So then you have him not going and talking after the game or tweeting something out. He spoke out on his own Discord channel. Get out of here. Maze, did you know that Grayson Allen has a Discord? Yeah, I'm on there. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. He's a big gamer. I'm a gamer, and uh, I'm into massive multiplayer online gaming communities. If you meet me online by Grubbs Tavern, I will show you where the treasure is hidden. Grayson Allen. And he has a Discord channel and he decided to speak out, defend himself. Richard Jefferson tweeted out, Grayson Allen giggling after receiving a flagrant two and being ejected seems pretty on brand for him. And it went viral, that tweet. And Grayson Allen responded in his Discord. Okay, I don't know how many people are in this Discord channel, but he responded. Also to this point, I stood at half court watching till he got up to, to see if he was okay. Then when I was back by our bench, a teammate made a joke and I laughed. 
I wasn't laughing at the foul. How big of a nerd loser do you have to be to be a follower of Grayson Allen's Discord? Like of all the people who are gamers, right? Like athletes are gamers, you pick Grayson Allen? There was a huge void in the NBA gamer community after the events of last year, you guys. They had to find somewhere to go. They had to find another white gamer to support. Oh, oh I see where you're that's going true. with that. Is this Twitch still up, by the way? Fort Myers Leonard. So here's what Grayson Allen said. In addition, it was very unfortunate how it played out. I jumped to block it with my left, and as I'm spinning, went to grab the ball with my right hand, not throw him down. It was a really hard fall, and I'm glad he's okay. If I could do the play over again, knowing he'd fall like that, I wouldn't have made the play. He's not okay. He's not okay. What are you talking about? He's out for two months. He broke his wrist. <laughs> oh, thank God. I'm glad he's okay. Thank God oh. he didn't die on the play. <laughs> Grayson Allen, a gracious human being who cares about his fellow man. Oh, thank God. What did you expect to happen? The dude's going up for a fast break layup or dunk, and you just, boom, just came with your left, and then, boom, again with your right. I wasn't trying to throw him down. I was trying to block him twice. I'm going to watch this play again one more time. Yeah, w- watch it again. Armed with that information. Oh, wow. I put gray, and the first thing that comes up is Grayson Allen dirty highlights. Just in the word gray, man. Come wow. on. Not, not 50 shades of gray. There we go. Grayson Allen, hard foul on Alex Caruso. Hits the trailer. Caruso in a hard foul. On Grayson Allen as Caruso hits the deck. They're booing. Why are the Bucks crowd booing? What are they booing? Wait, they're booing? I didn't catch that. The Bucks crowd is booing yeah. the fact that he's on the ground and writhing in pain? He got all arm. Wasn't like a little bit of arm. He got all arm. So like the whole, I'm going to swipe to get the ball with the other hand. Well, because he didn't get it the first time. I mean, <laughs> I didn't block it. I I got all arm with my left. And so I was trying to get the ball with my right after I just totally decked him. So, I mean, the interesting thing here is that he doesn't have an NBA regular season track record here. He has like one flagrant in his history in the NBA regular season, but he has two of these issues in summer league. Yeah, I remember. It raises an interesting question, like how much does your prior track record matter in these certain uh, scenarios? Because Richard Jefferson raises a good point is he clearly, if he's laughing on the sidelines and if the, if your teammates making a joke, I mean, and this dude, one of your, like one of your brethren, like maybe he's, you call him an opponent, whatever, but an NBA player is writhing on the ground. He might be out for the regular rest of the season. You don't know. You don't know what kind of injuries he, whether he broke his ribs or whatnot. He hit his head on the court, maybe he suffered a, a concussion or a brain injury. And a player makes a joke on the sidelines. You know that you're being watched. You're Grayson Allen. Oh, it's not even know about getting, being watched. Like, you can't be laughing. Come on, man. Like, so he chimed in again, Grayson Allen, six hours later. Okay. I destroyed any chance I have at getting the benefit of the doubt. So I have to live with that and understand that's how it will always be for me. Oh, Grayson. Is that an admission that he, Mm. he deserves it? Like he deserves no, no, the no, bad no, rap? No, no. I destroy no, 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 no. I destroyed this, any chance I have at getting no, the benefit of the doubt. Is, this is this is the woe is me. I have to understand that that's how it's always gonna be. Yeah. For me, poor old Grayson Allen. Persecuted. So he got one game suspension and what I didn't realize, and I guess I 
I kind of knew it intuitively, but didn't realize it was actually in the rule book. Amin, did you know that the severity of the injury is taken into account when a flagrant is assessed? When a flagrant is assessed, yes. I think maybe the, the, the suspension, it's probably wrapped up in there as well, is that the suspension, the punishment is based on not just the actual dangerous play. No, but- no, suspensions, suspensions are no, they're not. They don't take that into account. Whether a foul is a flagrant one or a flagrant two, it does take into account. The length of the suspension does not take into account. So there's no kind of corresponding punishment. Like a guy is out for the rest of the season. Eh, if he was out for a month, we would have suspended him for two games. But now that it's just a month, we'll go to one game. Think about it like this. Nico Jokic wasn't even in the in the act of a basketball play, at least at the very least. Whatever defense you could do for Grayson Allen, you could say this was in the course of a basketball play. Someone's going up for a layup. I'm trying to stop him from making that layup. Nico just shoved the fuck out of somebody in his back. Marky Morris has never played again. He's still out. Mm-hmm. The severity of the injury has very little to do with suspensions. With the flagrant one or flagrant two, it does. Not because like, oh, he broke his ankle, that's why, or his wrist, that's why it's a flagrant two. But the idea like, how bad of a fall was it, right? Because we talked about the idea that Shaq, every time he gets fouled, is with flagrant two force behind those fouls. But because he's so big, it would be like punching the Empire State Building. They're not really doing much to the Empire State Building. So, you know, a lot of those fouls that w- with, with the same force would have been flagrant fouls against so many other players, against Shaq, they just call them as regular fouls. That makes sense. It does make me question, though, should we be more lenient on players who just got lucky and Garrison Matthews gets up after the hard foul. He's on the ground for several minutes in pain, but he gets up and fights off whatever pain he was having. And De'Aaron Fox is already ejected. But if he had been, if he bounced right back up and went to the free throw line. Stay down. They teach you that in soccer. Stay down. Stay down. Because you don't know what repercussions are going to happen after that, Right. If you get up, you absolve that dude. And maybe you're hurt, by the way. That's the other thing. You get up quick, you're actually hurt. But adrenaline has you like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then you realize, oh, actually, I'm not fine. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. But, you know, I mean, I just don't think, regardless of Caruso's injury, I don't think it's a one-game suspension type of foul. I saw intent in there, I guess, for me, watching the video. I don't think you can judge based on intent. You're never going to get inside someone's head. That's a, that's a fait accompli. It's a fool's errand. You can tell by body language, reaction afterward, all these things. Let me put it this way. If he went up, fouled him, and then Crusoe fell, broke his wrist, I'd be like, oh, man, that was he was just going, he was trying to make a play. But the second swipe, like that's that's the part where like, nah, man, that is that is a dirty play. That's the part where you know I'm and I'm already like we're airborne. I fouled him, and now I'm trying to double foul him. That's how you know intent is there. Maybe not intent to hurt the guy, but intent to say, I'm reckless endangerment. I don't give a shit about what happens here. Mm -hmm. Because we all play ball. You know when you're airborne, man, like there's certain things you don't do. You don't do that because people are vulnerable, right? Like the smallest tip can change the the angle of your body and you fall. You don't fall on your knees or on on your feet. You, you you take an awkward fall, you try to brace yourself. If you don't brace yourself, you might hit your head, as you pointed out. That's why we don't do that stuff. 
It's not people giving up on a play. That's ridiculous. What do you think he should have gotten? Five games. Five games. Mm. Five games. You can't have people just going out there and like just clobbering people midair. And even though he doesn't have technically a track record in the league and most of his transgressions have been either in summer league or at Duke, I still think the object of this punishment should be to be a deterrent to say this, this ain't cool. So the other thing that's interesting here is that Milwaukee sent out a statement. Did you see this, Amin? That Milwaukee put out an official statement saying we disagree with the suspension and we support Grayson. There was protesting, right? Yeah. The Miami Heat, when they got the punishment handed down for their uh, the, the Kyle Lowry stuff, we disagree with the uh, decision and we'll put our, our name on it. This one, I did not see the Bucks saying we did. It's not like Grayson Allen's been with the team for like 10 years, right? Grayson Allen's a hired gun on this team. Uh, brand new player, first year. And yes, he's played some good minutes for them in the starting role. But the Milwaukee Bucks are out here like, like caping for Grayson Allen like he's Giannis or Chris Middleton. They're saying we support Grayson after that hard foul. That's not the Grayson I know. <laughs> he's got many, many friends that he hasn't uh, hit in the nuts before or tackled or tripped up in his in his career. So I looked this up. I mean, I noticed that there was, you know, this hard foul that uh, Taylor Horton Tucker had the other day. And then there was one with Alex Caruso. Uh, there was one recently with Garrison Matthews and De'Aaron Fox, where De'Aaron Fox was ejected. I mean, there's been a lot of ejections this season. Have there? A lot of ejections. Like more than normal? I mean, what if I told you that there have been 43 ejections this season, according to Spotrack.com tracking? Since we recorded this podcast yesterday, there were four more ejections last night. What if I told you that is one fewer than the entire 2020-21 season. Last year, 44 ejections. This year, 43. 44 and 72. 43 in about 44. We're 70% through the season. There have been 704 games this year and 1,080 last year. So right. we're 70% way through the season compared to last year. But we're already about to eclipse the number of ejections. Okay, we've already eclipsed the number of ejections from the 2020 season. We've already eclipsed the number of ejections in the 2015-16 season. What do you posit is the reason behind this? I don't know. COVID making people crazy. Maybe just built up like frustrations of COVID the last couple of years. And I don't know, because I would have thought that like the very draconian rules of the tra- no travel, no leaving your hotel room. Like you would see a lot more frustration and pent up anger um, because because of that, right? Because of the rules, they don't get to go out. They they feel like they're caged animals, right? In this case, I don't know if that feels if that can really apply here. Is that NBA players are feeling frustrated over the pandemic? Or let me give you an alternate theory. What if it's because we have a bunch of refs who are getting call-ups who otherwise probably wouldn't get call-ups because of all the COVID stuff, and they're a little too quick on the trigger with some of these whistles? Oh, so you're saying the Kyle Lowry thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry gets ejected for basically <laughs> throwing, like not throwing, passing the ball to a new referee, and the referee took offense to that and threw him out for his second tee. The referee was triggered. I know that. Players in the past have done this sort of thing as some sort of hazing ritual for new refs. Well, guess what, buddy? I won't fall for it. I won't stand for it. 43 ejections. Yeah. it's a lot. 
yeah, there've been a lot of call up for, for referees this year. A lot of, um, you know, rookie referees, you know, being promoted into having to do some like not crew chief, but basically refing in roles that they normally are not used to. Um, so maybe that's part of this is that it's not so much the players are acting out more. It's that the referees are having a harder time dealing with, we're having a quick trigger for ejections. Or, or technical fouls. That's another thing I'd like to look into is whether all these are like flagrant altercation ejections or they're just double technical ejections and see how that measures up. Sweet Lance, this was supposed to be Kyrie's night, but you said, no, I'm not going down. No, I'm not going down without a fight. Sweet Lance, you scored 20 in the first quarter. The Nets defense just said we are out of order, sweet Lance. You played that air guitar. We missed you so much, but you weren't very far from our hearts, from our souls. Where were you the last two years? No one fucking knows, sweet Lance. Sweet Lance. Sweet Lance. I mean, big news story today from uh, Jake Fisher at Bleacher Report detailing the James Harden. This avalanche. According to those close to him or with knowledge of, of James Harden's thinking, expect him to explore the free agency market this summer. And he also doesn't like Brooklyn all that much. He doesn't like living Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, according to Fisher's reporting. He's not too happy with the cold. He's not too happy with the tax situation in New York. Mm -hmm. And makes him a little bit less uh, tied to the Brooklyn Nets long term. Probably not too happy that they didn't give him an extension, but maybe he didn't want to be there again in the first place. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I mean... Does this seem to you like he's trying to gain some leverage with the Nets to try to get them to capitulate to whatever demands he has with the offense or with his lifestyle or whatever it is? Or do you think he really actually wants to leave the Brooklyn Nets? Leverage? A female? (laughs) That's from Battlefield Earth, Cinephobe episode. What episode is that, Maze? I don't know why you do this where you have to say the episode number. Just say Cinephobe. So people can find it. Wherever man. you get podcasts. <laughs> produced by Anthony Mays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you like the name tag. I just shortcutted it. Yeah. <laughs> Ascertain. Fair shakes. Cinephobe episode 19. <laughs> no, it's not a leverage play. I think this is like, okay, he came. He signed up because he wanted to play with Kevin Durant. He did not want to play with Kyrie, but this is the way I explain it. If Kyrie were in Brooklyn and Kevin Durant were not, I don't think Harden would have gone to Brooklyn. If KD was in Brooklyn, but Kyrie was not, I do think he would have gone to Brooklyn. Harden would have gone. So it's not that he doesn't want to play with Kyrie. It's just like, I didn't come here to play with him. I came here to play with KD and you happen to be here too. Now here's the issue. Through this, like he came to play with like one of his best buds or whatever and another really great player. And what's happened? Well, they haven't played together a whole lot, right? One of them has been hurt a couple of times. The other one has been hurt and also has this whole weird thing that he's going through where, you know, the, the capital has been stormed. Oh, I can't play. Oh, I don't want to get back. So it's like 
what did I sign up for here? Because clearly it's not sign up to play regular basketball with two other superstars. So I think that on top of whatever misgivings he might have about being in Brooklyn, look, Houston's a big city, one of the biggest cities in America, but it's really a big, small town. It's not a city. It's a big, small town. So someone like James Harden can be the BMOC in Houston very easily. In New York, you're just another dude, man. You're just another dude. You're nowhere near the top of the list. And, you know, for some people, for Kevin Durant, he doesn't care, right? Yeah, he likes that anonymity. He likes just being in the mix, right? He doesn't need to be the top dog. For Harden, it's part of his lifestyle, man. And that's an adjustment for him. Can Sean Marks or the Nets do anything to fix that? Not really, bro, other than winning. But I think the combination of all those factors makes it more plausible that he will see what's what out there. The other side of this, because there's two sides to all of this, is there's a team, there are reports of a particular team that are very interested in him, a team that he has uh, a very significant tie to. That's the Philadelphia 76ers. That's right. Sixers led by Dal Morey. He tried to acquire him last year when he was up and available. Allegedly, Harden picked Brooklyn over Philly as far as his wishes. Here we are. And now he's saying, did I make a terrible mistake? Also close with uh, Tad Brown, who is the CEO of the 76ers, who used to work in Houston. Used to be the CEO of the Rockets. That's Tad Brown. That's right. And now he's in Philadelphia. And also, I, I believe I saw in a press conference that... James Harden called him like a father or a father figure, Tad Brown, (laughs) to which Daryl Morey's head, he goes, like Daryl Morey was like very, uh, just like nodding along to James Harden's speech. It was uh, a press conference with Mike D'Antoni on his right and then Daryl Morey on his left. And James Harden's talking about why he loves the city and whatever of Houston. And then suddenly he goes, and Tad Brown, you know, I really look up to him kind of like a father. And Daryl Morey just looks up. He goes, oh, all right. Hey, did you hear that? He thinks of Tad Brown like a father. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, James Harden. You're good. We're good here. Let me ask you this. Did you hear the sound from Daryl Morey from this past week where he's on the radio complaining about ball sack sports trade rumors. <laughs> all I heard was ball sack sports. I mean, that's all I heard. Wait, there was some nuanced conversation in there. All I heard was ball sack sports. So first, I have to express some empathy with Philadelphia 76ers fans who are hungry for news. So they're they have nothing else to do than debate possible deals. Uh, and I can just tell you for a fact that these things that are tweeted out, reported on. There's really only one reliable reporter I know about. They have, we have nothing better to do, I think, and I don't, and I don't blame them than debate, you know, fake trade rumors and deals. But people get, and it's very frustrating for me, and I'm sure it's frustrating for fans too. I mean, we had, we had a trade debated. It might even be this one that was tweeted out by Ball Sack Sports. I mean, like people were treating that like it was a real thing. I think that was yesterday or two days ago. So, like, I, I'm I'm imploring people to not get too attached to ball sack sports <laughs> tweets and treat them seriously. I, I'm here to tell you, Tom, that I get my news from ball sack sports. How else would I know that 100 to 150 professional athletes right there on the pitch, <laughs> right on the court, 
right on the field have died as a result of the COVID vaccine. Source Paul Sack Sports. How else? It's also not great for Daryl Moore to be like, yeah, you Philly fans, you have nothing better to do than to go on a trade rumors and just be muck it up in the trade rumor mill. And I'm like, well, I think you probably agree, Daryl, that it's not okay to just be like the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference during Joel and B's prime. Yeah, I think it should be your fans should be looking at how, how we can get better as a team. So anyway. I bring it up because James Harden, there's a report from Sham Sharania that the Sixers are weighing whether to sit out trading Ben Simmons in the hope for a James Harden deal at the end of the season. So Tom, it reminded me a little bit of what happened with Chris Paul when he was a Clipper. Do you remember what happened with Chris Paul when he was a Clipper? Yeah, there was uh, Donald Sterling. Well, what okay, else? Not, not that part. Not that part. One of his teammates punched an assistant trainer. Oh man, I forgot all about that. Yeah, no, he had a he had a player option on his deal, and everyone thought, "Oh, Chris Paul's for sure opting out. He's tearing it up. He's going to be free agent this offseason. Maybe the Clippers can keep him. Maybe he might go somewhere else." And what he ended up doing at the last possible moment was he picked up the option, Cha-ching. and then got himself traded to to Houston. And I'm thinking, is this what could possibly happen with James Harden? Everyone's saying he's going to opt out, but instead, surprise, surprise, opt in the 47 mil, trade me to Philly. Interesting. And so here's how the contracts line up. You have Ben Simmons next year for 33.9. James Harden's at 47. Mm Mm-hmm. So Daryl Moore, that's a $14 million gap. Daryl Moore is going to figure that out. What you need is about roughly $10 million there. It doesn't have to match dollar for dollar. You just got to get within 20%. They've got options there. I'm looking as I pull up their cap sheet in front of me. Like in terms of Danny Green, who's got a non-guaranteed. So you can do that deal. Danny Green and Ben Simmons for Harden. The Nets get to cut them. They can cut them and re-sign them. They can... Keep them, whatever you want to do, and you are square to go if you are the Nets. The Nets obviously get a player who's younger, who's more athletic. Feels a need. Way better defensive player, yes, feels a need. Is less needing of shots, better rebounder, more versatility, con. The thing where one or two of you guys isn't playing and we can keep this thing going probably isn't as strong with Ben Simmons versus uh, James Harden. Pro, Ben Simmons' body is not deteriorating like James Harden's is. After years and years of workload and extracurricular lifestyle that has taken a toll on him, Maybe like if this if you're if you're Sean Marks, this is the pivot, right? This is the way you keep this thing going. Con, you just gave a not only a conference rival, a division rival, their missing piece. I don't think division should matter anymore. Whether they actually do to executives, but that is that is definite. Like that definite in in the nineties or early two or certainly in the eighties, you would never make an in intra division trade like this. I mean, division versus conference doesn't matter, but it matters that this is a team we'll have to see now rather than see in the finals. That matters. And typically with these deals, when you're dealing a superstar, usually there's a have and a have not. 
I don't give a shit he's in my conference or in my division. I'm tearing this thing down anyway. It's like if the Pelicans were like, I can't give AD to the Lakers. What if I see him in the playoffs? Playoffs? Mm-hmm. Trying to win a game, you know? Mm-hmm. But in this case, you have two contending franchises that are going to swap or could theoretically swap. What would that do? The alternative is that James Harden just walks and leaves you. So if you're if you're really not wanting to tra- trade him to a division rival, I mean, the cost, the opportunity cost of like, oh, we can't trade him to the Sixers. Just down the road, play in our division. But hey, he might, might just get up and leave. Then you don't get anything for him. If he walks, though, this is the difference, though. This is where it gets interesting. If he walks, the teams that are going to have cap space, projected cap space, right, are not going to be the teams that he's necessarily going to be interested in playing for. Oh, Detroit's going to have some money. Yeah. You want to go be a Piston? You want to be at Oklahoma City Thunder again? Like, no, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to play somewhere snazzy and also somewhere where he's got a chance to win. Now, that might just end up being Brooklyn again. But if he wants to go to anywhere else, remember Golden State was a place once upon a time that they talked about, maybe, right? If he wants to go anywhere else, it's going to have to be via trade because sign-in trade eliminates all of the luxury tax-paying teams. You opt into your 47, now you can just get traded. Mm. Now you don't have to worry about sign-and-trade issues there. To me, James Harden is mini Embiid. Or maybe I should say uh, Embiid is giant Harden. I've always felt that they have very similar games or very similar profiles. Is guys who get to the line at a super high rate, have incredible handle and passing ability, their conditioning is questioned. Their ability to stay healthy is questioned. Their ability to go deep into the playoffs is questioned. But certainly in terms of their ability to score, their bag, all of this stuff, it feels like Joel Embiid is just a taller version of James Harden. And for those two players are on the same team, man, that's threading the needle in terms of injuries and, and championship run. You're doubling down, right? Instead of yeah. Instead of – Trying to get someone who has a little bit of a higher uh, reliability factor long term, mm-hmm. you're doubling down on the risk risk profile of Joel Embiid breaking down uh, because of his size, because of his affinity for falling in games, and he gets fouled and hit, and he likes to, you know, a, he's not a catch the ball in the post and score guy. He's a guy who likes to play uh, square up and break a, a guy down. So this is. The Philadelphia 76ers doubling down on that type of profile. James Harden not entering his prime, coming out of it. Joel Embiid, who does play have a little bit more uh, age on those tires, right? That's that's an interesting gamble. Of course, I think you make that move if you're if you're Daryl Morey to try to trade Ben Simmons and get James Harden. None of it's a vacuum, though, right? Of course. I was telling Evan Cohen this on the radio. Yes, he has a relationship with Harden. Yes, he's like, that's his man, 100 grand, all that stuff. But if Portland called and said, all right, Dame's on the table, you don't think he's going Dame over Harden? Absolutely he's going Dame. Like, just way more reliable. Reliable as a person, reliable physically, reliable in the fourth quarter. Like, on every metric, like, he's a more reliable person. You're going to go with Damian Lillard, right? If Bradley Beal becomes available, 
You don't think he's going Beal over Harden? That's a great question. So if Daryl Morey could have any of those three players, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, or James Harden, who would he rank? How would he rank them? Or how should he rank? I would rank them. Before you answer, we're not saying this is the best player to the worst player of the three. We're saying when you take everything into account, the number one ability is availability, right? Who's going to be out there playing and in decent shape and deep playoff run? Go. I'm going to go Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. I'll go James Harden, then Bradley Beal. You go Harden over Beal? Yeah. I don't know, man. Beal does have a long track record. It's rear view mirror, deep in his rear view mirror. If you remember early in his career, there's a lot of worry about his ability to hold up long term because of the stress fractures in his legs. Right. And then he's had a weird year, man. Brad Beal has had a weird year where you thought you thought he was going to ascend to be the next Harden, but then he's fallen apart this year. He went from 31 points a game for two straight seasons, and now he's at 23, shooting under 30% from downtown. I'm not saying that he's no longer an all-star caliber player, but if you're in the Damian Lillard and James Harden class, can't be doing that. So for me, Damian Lillard, then James Harden, and then Bradley Beal. Can I ask you guys, though? Daryl Morey getting back together with his ex? Yeah. Where does that factor in? Oh, and by the way, Doc Rivers wasn't handpicked by Daryl Morey, too. And there's a certain head coach who also was on the Brooklyn Nets last year. Oh, no, no, no. Mike's not. Uh, Mike, m- one more time for Mike, you think? Bring it back, baby. You don't think uh, Mike, don't Dan- know, Mike D'Antoni would sign up for that? Is to get another. He was an assistant coach under Brett Brown years ago when Jerry Colangelo was brought into the 76ers. Mike. And here comes Daryl Morey, James Harden, Brett the Brand back together. He's 70 years old or something now. I mean, like, at some point, like, we got to yeah, – Mike's 70. He's 70. He's about to be 71 in May. Yeah. You got the year off, my man. He's well-rested. You <laughs> got the year off. <laughs> oh, my God. What about – how about this? I mean, Daryl Morey, does he have James Harden over Dame Lillard? No. I think he does. I don't think he does. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Does he want to do it again? Or would he be more inclined to say, let's give Bradley Beal a shot because it's something new? This is my thing. Harden versus Beal, that's the conversation. Lillard's not because Daryl is, um, more than anything, he's a rat, super rational, maybe hyper-rational, maybe rational beyond kind of like understanding the emotion or sentimentality of how it can you know, carry a situation. You just got to look at the bare basics. One of these dudes takes care of himself, eats good, right? Gets the requisite amount of sleep, works out, is a determined professional. The other dude, and again, they're like you said earlier, they're both great players. The other dude likes to get after it. And for about eight years, seven, eight years in a row, 82 games if possible, high minutes if possible, physical style of play, with a lot of abuse. So it turns into like this thing that piles up mm-hmm. of a profile of someone who has had a lot of miles on him, whether it's games, whether it's minutes, whether it's this type of, had a lot of type of miles. What's my man Leon in Kirby Enthusiasm say? Them's not highway miles. Those are city miles. <laughs> he's putting city miles on his body. And then he's not going to the maintenance shop and like, drop in seven digits LeBron style to make sure this finely tuned machine is operating and is as 
you know, everything's squeaky clean. He's like, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a great time. And I'm not here to judge. We all like to get after it. But I'm just saying on a professional athlete's body, forget about the morality. It has a deleterious effect, particularly when combined with not a lot of rest on a very intense style of play. Just from the standpoint of like, what's a sure thing? You say Damian Lillard. And then you could throw in the intangibles. Damian Lillard's a leader. Harden really isn't. <laughs> I love you can do all I that love, stuff. I love, I mean, how we're pointing to the guy who might be out for the rest of the season with an abdominal injury is the one that is a better bet than James Harden mm-hmm. going forward. But he is. It's just funny to think about. Also, we're talking about deals that would happen after this season because I just don't believe Brooklyn would make a trade unless that dude walked in and said to Sean Marks' office, get me the fuck out of here. That's the only way he's getting traded. The other thing here is, like you said, Ben Simmons fills a need. The Nets defense has been absolutely shredded over the past month. They have the worst defensive rating in the NBA in the month of January. Oh. Who could have predicted that? Yeah. That defense that was like top five for much of the season was all smoke and mirrors. Uh, I believe you heard it here first. You did hear it here first. And how that th- opponent three-point rate was waiting to regress to the mean. Way too high, man. The other foot was going to drop, and sure enough, it has, and now they're bottom 10. I love the idea that someone could allow as many three-point attempts as they are and really believe, oh, it's our defense that's making them shoot points. <laughs> yeah. If your defense is that great, why are they shooting so many threes? Right? Like, wouldn't someone go? Just think about it logically. Oh, they're all over us, coach. Got a hand up. All right. Put it on the floor. Triple penetrate then. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, no, no. I think we're, it comes down to like what people just have a very overly uh, simplistic view of like why NBA teams play the way they do. I mean, yes. Let's take a little stroll through NBA history. Mm. January 26th, 1995. Speaking of players. Oh, wow. With injury risks and thinking, oh, we think this is going to be an amazing trajectory. Guess. January 26, 1995. With a record 6,254,427 ballots cast by fans in the Foot Locker NBA All-Star Voting Program, Detroit's Grant Hill became the first rookie ever to lead all NBA players in All-Star votes received, earning the nod on 1,289,585 ballots. I'm reminiscent about being 1995. I'm in high school. I've got my Grant Hill Filas on. <laughs> Nifty little haircut, great hairline, you know. Music's playing. I think it's uh, Raekwon, ice cream. And I'm walking down and like, hey, I'm going down to that Foot Locker. It's not too far from my high school. It's a big deal. I like on the after school, go there, grab some ballots, punch them through. You have to punch it. You got to punch it. You got to punch it. Yep. And then mm-hmm. drop it in that slot. And you were hoping that you would be one of the people picked. Mm-hmm. We're going to pick somebody in all expenses paid trip to All-Star Weekend. And, yo, you know, my guy Grant Hill was on the ballot as a forward all the time. Never Scottie Pippen. No, no, no. It was... Patrick Ewing at center. It was Charles Oakley at one forward, and it was Grant Hill at the other forward. I think my guards were John Starks and uh, Jason Kidd. The guard Throwing Jason Kidd in there? No, no. In the East? No, this is the oh, East. Oh, you saying East? Nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. Nineteen ninety-five. Who was in the East? Mm-hmm. Who are the guards? 
I can't even remember. It probably was Derek Harper. Penny? Then. <laughs> Is Penny a guard? Was it Penny? Oh, Penny's a guard. Yeah. Did I put Penny in there? I might have put Penny. I might have put Derek Harper too, though. I won't lie. I can see myself. <laughs> I know I had Starks, Oakley, and Ewing. That's a fact. I know that's that's the holy trinity right there. I mean, I don't know how much of the audience is going to be surprised by the fact that not only did Grant Hill lead all players in votes for the All-Star game in his rookie season, you might say, hey, that's because Jordan wasn't there. But what happened the next season might be even more surprising. Mm. Associated Press article from 1996, January 26th. Although Michael Jordan is back helping the Chicago Bulls terrorize the National Basketball Association, Detroit Pistons forward Grant Hill remains the fans' favorite in voting for the the All-Star Game. In the closest voting since 1977, Hill drew the most votes in the All-Star fan balloting, edging Jordan by 16,582 votes. Out of more than 6 million votes cast, Hill got 1,358,004 to 1,341,422 for Jordan. And I quote, I just hope that Michael isn't ticked off because I got more votes than him, Hill joked after the vote totals were announced yesterday. Spoiler alert, he was ticked off. (laughs) (laughs) And I took it personally. (laughs) In case you wonder what Jordan was doing through all-star voting, November of that year, 29.5 points, 5.1 rebounds, 4.6 assists, 50.5% from the field. December, 30.6 points, 6.5 rebounds, 4.6 assists, 48% from the field. January, 32.5 points, 7.1 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 52% 52% for the field. So he was doing a damn thing. He was doing a damn thing. But, Grant, you know, Grant Hill was a time, man, because that was a time when everyone was saying, this is the heir apparent. This is the next guy. And he was in a, much in the same way that Jordan was, you know, like bird and magic dominated the league, but people looked at Jordan as, oh, this guy's league is going to be his. And obviously had an immense popularity. This was where Grant Hill was in his lifetime and in his life cycle. He was the next coming. And yeah, Jordan's got it now. But, you know, it's only a matter of time. When he came into the league from Duke, he obviously passed Christian Leitner, the the, the game-winning shot there um, against Kentucky. Um, had a lot of hype coming into the NBA. But the Detroit, like, it's just hard to remember how big Detroit was in the, in the in the NBA coming off the bad boy Pistons. Then they get this dude with their new jerseys with the horse and the, the piston. His rookie year, they were still wearing the blue. Right. They were still wearing the blue and red. The next year when, when Jordan came back and he still got more votes for, for All-Star. And then the Sprite ads came out. Like Grant Hill, he wasn't the next thing. He was the thing. Like Michael Jordan certainly was in a different stratosphere. But the, the Sprite ads where I think I age myself like on, on press row when there's a dude who goes up for a dunk and he hits the front of the rim and falls over and I call it a Sprite and some people who are younger than me are like, what are you talking about? And I like, know he just Sprite it because of the Grant Hill ad in 1996. Well, you said Grant Hill drinks Sprite. That's when someone would be like, oh, Grant Hill drinks Sprite. Like you just, you just say that. Which by the way, also think of that, that as a commercial pretty incredible ad campaign that's built around the premise that someone failed at doing something, right? Like the kid watches Grant Hill. If you haven't seen it, you can see it on YouTube. But basically, the gist of it is kid sees Grant Hill take a swig of Sprite, go up and dunk it. 
He says, wow, Grand Hell drinks Sprite. So he decides to drink a Sprite of his own. And it's all in super slow-mo. And he goes up and it's very acrobatic and elegant. And he just gets hung. It's get caught on the front of the rim. And oh, so that's why the Grant Hildrick Sprite thing is a thing. You say it's interesting because they're making an ad about someone failing. I think it's more interesting as a direct shot across the bow of Michael Jordan's ad campaign. Where Michael Jordan's ad campaign was, it must be the shoes. I wear these shoes, these Nikes, oh, yeah. and I'm going to be able to dunk all over these people. Whereas Grant Hill was making fun of that, which is the idea we're going to flip it. People think that, oh, because I drink Sprite, I'm going to be like Grant Hill? Nah. Well, that was the brand. That was Sprite's brand. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. That was that was Sprite's whole thing, right? They also had a commercial where it's like there's a bunch of guys on a black top and one guy's got like a basketball. My name is T-Bone. This guy's L-Train. And if you mess with us, we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to mess with Ain't that right, L-Train? And L-Train's like, up, up, line. And then... Like it's a cut, and then it turns out they're actors. Like everyone's like, "Oh, what's my motivation?" Like they're clearly not rough and tumble guys <laughs> yeah. from the blacktop. So Sprite's whole thing was about authenticity. That was their core thing, and the idea was that all these things that they won't say it, but like all these things that are being sold to you by the Jordans or whatever, they're not authentic. They're like, all you need is this, and this will change who you are, change your life. And we're like, we're not doing that. We're just saying, hey, this will you're thirsty. This will stop you from being thirsty. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. Image was a big word in the 90s. My image, my image. Nowadays, people say the word brand. Think about how people, oh, it's bad for my brand. It's good for my brand. Back in the 90s, the word image was what they ran with. But, you know, look, man, Grant Hill was that thing. He was that thing, absolutely. Um yeah, commercial after commercial after commercial, and they were all funny, and they were, like, interesting and all that. And then he got hurt, and he played on a hurt ankle and uh, went to a team that had one of the worst training staffs and was run by a hockey guy. And, like, it's so funny to see, how, like, how do you end someone's career in in less than uh, 60 seconds or whatever? <laughs> I don't lose a guy in 10 seconds. I saw Zach Levine the other day saying, I came back early from my injury because I'm a gamer. Like I, I couldn't stand sitting sitting out and, and watching my team suffer. I wanted to be out there. And I'm just like, ah, like, ugh. we saw Isaiah Thomas happen to him. We saw what Grant Hill happened to him. Take care of your body, please. It's not even February and you're trying to make the playoffs here. Yeah, so Grant Hill, the other, the other commercial is the I'm a Cowboy one that – was iconic for for Grant Hill in the Sprite era. So this one, let's play it. Grant, it's time to look beyond basketball. I'm thinking made for TV drama. You want me to be just like Tommy, Dad, but I can only be Jake. After that, you go on tour with your book. <laughs> then you cut an album. I'm a cowboy. So what do we think? I'd never do something like that. Care for a Sprite? I'm going to call that big guy in LA. He'll do anything. Great voiceover work. Can't believe they would say that about Sean Rooks. RIP, man. He had to pick the one who's not with us. Oh, man. You could have said Vladi. You could have said Eldon. Oh, you could have said Matt Fish. A couple of things. The book signing. Did you see the name of the book? Polite Like Me. Polite Like Me. Because the thing was, Grant Hill was such a nice guy. Everyone was kind of like wondering, is he too nice? That was a, a big thing. There was actually another commercial. It might have been a Fila commercial. I can't remember if it was Fila or Sprite, where Bill Lambier and Rick Mahorn 
are saying, you got, you too nice. You got to be mean. And they're like eating like, and he's just like, I just want to be a nice guy or whatever. They, they had, look, Grant Hill's ad campaign or his ad strategy around him was really, really well done, really well polished. The kind of thing that I don't think you see anymore in terms of a real cohesive strategy around a guy, but always coming back to the fact that like, yo, I'm just Grant, right? <laughs> just the idea. Say we should get you a made for TV movie. You want me to be Tommy, Dad, but I can only be Jake. By the way, that commercial we used it in a training camp video once. No way. Yeah, we're trying to teach the rookies on like now that you're an NBA player, like things that you should look out for, like endorsement deals. Like as you say, whatever. One of them was you want to be cast in a movie. Like uh, you can only you only you want me to be Tommy, Dad, but I can only be Jake. Everyone got a kick out of it. That's great. Good times. Grant Hill, leading all-star vote getter in 1996. Little spin through his. That was 25 years ago, 26 years ago. 26 years ago. Yep. Shouts to Grant Hill. Pre-injury, Grant Hill getting more votes than MJ for all-star. That would never happen now. That would never happen now. They would never allow the new kid on the block to overtake LeBron. LeBron's in his 900th year. He's still going to lead voting. You know why? That's the way the league wants it to be, Tom. Uh, you really, really going to go there? Well, you think LaMelo Ball and, and Luka Doncic should have the most votes, but there's a campaign to make sure that no one has more than LeBron? We have a two-time MVP who also won finals MVP in one of the most dominant fashions we've ever seen. You're telling me he's like third in voting or whatever it is, fourth in voting? Mm. It's all rigged, baby. It's all rigged. Tom's trivia, let's go. I mean, since... Track was tracking it in 2015. Which NBA player has the most ejections? I'm going to say a 6'6 forward from Michigan State, number 23, Draymond Green. Second on the list. Ooh, second. Good guess there, I mean. Who's out Draymonding Draymond? That is the question. Mark Keith Morris. 11. I was going to say Marcus. 11 ejections to Draymond Green's nine. Imagine how many more he could have put up this year. Could have caught up, but Draymond's kind of spotting him too, but he's waiting. He's stalling. That's amazing. Who's three? Tied at number two with nine ejections. Oh, to tie. Don't say it. Don't say it. Okay, say it. I'll give you a hint. He's a guard, a point guard. Chris Paul. Marcus Smart. Not Chris Paul. Marcus Smart is on this list. He is actually 12th on this list or tied for 11th. Wow. Way down there. Okay. A point guard. Oh, Patrick Beverly. Tied for sixth with seven ejections. I'm running out of asshole point guards here. Is he active? He's on Marquise Morris' team. Not Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry? He was a hothead early in his career, but I thought that was... By 2015, he's an all-star now. He's not getting ejected. He got an ejection this year, actually, <laughs> which was by the referee, who is a, a rookie referee. Uh, that's right. Full circle. Big storyline. I don't have the actual incidents here listed, but I have the dates and times. Kyle Lowry. Yeah, I mean, he's got nine here. And this is, this is by the way, also including double, like two technical ejections, not just uh, altercation ejections. So, but here's the list if you were wondering. Marquise Morris, Draymond Green, Kyle Lowry, Demarcus Cousins, and Robin Lopez are oh, tied yeah. at eight apiece. Yep. I would have guessed both of those guys would be higher, to be honest with you. 
Then you got Rondo with seven. Patrick Beverly with seven. Didn't see this one coming. Kevin Durant at seven. He went through that angry phase. Nikola Jokic. Jokic is a wow. That's that's a, that's a surprise as well. Hassan Whiteside, Isaiah Thomas, Blake Griffin, Dwight Howard. Luka Doncic has three already. Okay. Yeah, he he. he trust me, he's gonna rise up those ranks. <laughs> Yeah. LeBron James, not on this list, has only been ejected once. Once in his career, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something it's like that. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like he's ejected uh, once it's twice. In his entire career. Twice. twice. What, this one with Isaiah Stewart was his second, and his first yeah. one, we had talked about it on this pod. I'm trying to remember the circumstances. It was in Cleveland. But anyway, yeah, a lot of big names on this list, but um, Steph Curry, yeah, he, Steph Curry got ejected in a finals game. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Threw his mouth guard at a fan. Yep. yep. And that was the one where uh, his wife tweeted, like, the NBA is rigged or some shit like that. <laughs> Which, yeah. by the way, Aisha Curry, come holler at me. We have a meeting later. I've got a newsletter that I think you'd be very interested in. Mm-hmm. Me, you, and John Stockton, baby. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.